This is Jessica Martinez, and you're listening to The Pumping Podcast. This week, we are celebrating NICU Awareness Month, which is for the month of September. And I found a really hilarious mom. Her name is Sarah Krieg, and I got a chance to interview her about her experience and journey, which included a lot of time in the NICU. So I thought she would be a perfect candidate. She started off having one little boy. His name is Lloyd. And then she went on to having twins, Mabel and Walter. They are all very, very healthy and making life quite interesting as they are now two and five. (laughs) As she says, life can definitely be messy, but that's what makes it beautiful. And that's what this episode is all about. So enjoy her episode of her crazy but beautiful life. I'm so happy that I found you. It's, oh. <laughs> uh, I, I loved your website. It was it was really inspiring. Um, so September is NICU Awareness Month. For those of you who don't know, I just discovered it recently. And today I'm speaking with Sarah Krieg. And Sarah, I found your story on Instagram and just found it to be so inspiring. Um, and after talking a little bit back and forth, it seems like your story goes so much deeper than just the video and what the video showed in the NICU as well. Yeah. Right? Well, don't, don't all of our stories go so much deeper than what you see on Instagram. Right. But yeah, it, well, there yeah. are many chapters to our, our uh, journey through infertility to birthing our children. I mean, yeah, it really was a quite the journey. Oh, I'm so excited to hear about it. Um, <laughs> and then I moved on and I did a little research onto your website and people can find Sarah's website at shared shutter. Com and I'll put that in the show notes. But I found some of your videos because you can explain this a little more later, but you're also a filmmaker as well as a photographer. And you guys, you have to go to her website <laughs> and watch these videos. Oh they, Oh my gosh, they are so touching. Oh, I was literally you. crying in my living room. I have a habit of um, hiding behind my camera when I'm trying to cope with things. It's like my way because so much of our, you know, so much of a journey through infertility and through having children, you really have no control over the outcome of many of these things. And so for me, it was just a little way to have control over the story. Like I never knew how it was going to end or what was like we documented IVF and that process. And honestly, going into it, we had our first son we had via IVF and it worked on the first round. And so I thought, oh, I'm going to document our next round so that people can see what it's like. And I just assumed it was going to work because it had worked for us the first time and then it didn't work. And then it failed terribly. And then it took three tries plus, you know, and in between we had had a a miscarriage and just stuff that I was like, I did not know it was going to go down like this. Um, And I, I, but I wanted to just document it because I think um, it's part of our story and it's part of who we are. And I want our kids to know, um, you know, how much we wanted them and, and what we, what we, the struggle and the story. And I think a lot of our lives these days are just posting the pretty things. And I, I don't think that fully encompasses life. If you don't show the struggle, then, you know, I don't know. It's not as rewarding when you see, hopefully, where you end. So we were just so yeah. When I when something happens, I always just hide behind my camera because it just gives me something to do when I feel powerless. 
Well, it makes for a really great product, I'll tell you. <laughs> Thank you. And now that I have the children, Lloyd um, comes up. I'm our oldest. He's five. He does a lot of like, let's make a movie today. And so we now we've well, started doing little stop motions where Lloyd, with Lloyd talks about being a rainbow baby and little things. That- well, that's what – yeah. I mean, I think he – first of all, his personality – and we'll get more into all this, but his personality is just, oh, what a riot. And – I think it's so much more touching to have him there documenting. Like I loved hearing his story from his point of view. And then of course, hearing him explain things about the twins. Oh my gosh. So in one of the videos, you said a quote that I want to be kind of the theme that I want to be kind of the theme of this episode today. Okay. And that is life is messy and that's what makes it beautiful. I loved when you said Oh, that. thank you. Well, I really am a believer in that. I, I do think like, you know, if I just pretend to be perfect all the time, that's not healthy for me or for my kids or, you know what I mean? Like just why not embrace the mess? We're, we're parents. It's never going to be, it's never going to be perfect. And, um, but it's always going to be worth it. So I, I'm so glad you like that because that is something I really truly believe in. Well, I think that's going to be the title of this episode. So that's where we're going from today. Oh my gosh, I love it. (laughs) Yeah. So to start off, where are you joining us from? Um, I am currently sitting in my house while all three of my kids are at their little schools um, in in Southern California. (laughs) I know. Southern California. Oh, awesome. Yeah. I I was born and raised LA and then moved out to New York, spent my 20s in New York City, met my husband. And at the time, I was performing in a plus-size girl group called the Glamazons. I used to do musical theater, and we um, were promoting self-acceptance to young girls and, like, body positivity. And um, so we were on America's Got Talent in 2007, which – Hey. Um, yeah, is unfortunately something. I mean, it was it was a great journey, but my children will now be able to see me dancing in my panties, um, you know, <laughs> forever in life. That is something that will stay with them. So, <laughs> Lloyd has seen it. There's a good there's a good message in that. <laughs> there is, yeah. Lloyd said, "Oh, you sing good in your panties," and I was like, "Well, thank thank you." <laughs> um, so that was I, when I met my husband. I thought I should really hang up the fishnets and just retire because also like the theater world, you're on the road a lot. You perform eight times a week. It's not super conducive to having a family. Um, so we were living in New York when we got engaged, we moved back to Southern California and that's when we decided to start a family, which ended up taking us a decade. We thought we, we didn't think it would take quite that long, but, uh, I'm 40. So we started, we got married at 30 and we, I went off, well, we started trying before we got married. Like we knew that family was what we wanted. So here we are. Oh, wow. We made it. <laughs> so, well, one of my questions was what was life like before you started your family? But you kind of touched on that already. Um, and the cool thing is I didn't know this, but I live in New York and I was slash am a music theater performer too. So no look at that. Hey, well, where do you live? Yeah. What, what I live in a store. <gasps> We lived off of Dittmar's when we moved in together. I was living, um, I'm one of the weird people who used to live on Roosevelt Island and 
Yeah. I loved, I loved <laughs> Roosevelt Island. It was amazing. Now I've heard it's become really like trendy, but at the time it was Well, kind now of, it's crazy. Yeah. It was amazing. Yeah. We didn't have a Starbucks when I lived there, but we had the tram and I loved it. And then um, Dan was cool <laughs> and he was living in Brooklyn in an area that is now called South Park Slope, but was just called oh. Danger. Like I go to visit him and I was like, this is not a great neighborhood, which now I've heard it's a great neighborhood. But, um, Oh, so when, great and super pricey. So, yes. It was not when he lived there. And he lived in like a railroad apartment with a friend. So his friend had to walk through Dan's bedroom to get to his bedroom. Oh, yeah. It was lovely. Um, oh, yeah. I've, I've done railroad before. Yeah. I know that life. Oh, so when we got married, we moved – or when we got engaged, we moved in together off of Dittmar's in Astoria. And we loved it there. How funny. And so how long were you here as just being – an engaged and married couple before you went out to California to start your family? Uh, I think we were there two years together and I was there six or seven years total. Um, Cause I had, I had been flown out there for a musical called the 25th annual Putnam County Spelling Bee and then stayed. So they helped me find an agent and helped me find a place. And then I hunkered down and I, I just did not take a trip. I did not come home from that. <laughs> and, um, and then, yeah, I auditioned for the Glamazons thinking it was a musical because it was in backstage, and I was very wrong about that. Um, oh, my God. And then that, that derailed into a different adventure. So I had a lot of fun in my 20s. I definitely um, got to travel a lot and and do a lot of fun things. And so when I met Dan, I knew I was, like, ready for the next chapter. And so how long did you try to have children for before you decided to go with IVF? Um, well, we were on it. I had had a fibroid tumor the size of like a small basketball when I was 26. And uh-huh. I had to have a myomectomy, which is basically like a C-section where they carve out the tumor and piece your uterus back together. Um, oh my goodness. And at the time they had all said, I had seen three doctors and they all said, yeah, you need a hysterectomy. It had, it was too far gone. And then I found one doctor at UCLA who was like, well, we could try this, but you're probably going to have too much scar tissue to be able to have a healthy pregnancy. So we knew going into it that I might not be able to have children. And I also have PCOS. So I had all the things. And so we had started trying right away. And I'm so sorry. Can you, my, my, I don't know how to turn my Apple watch off. I just got it. And now it's dinging. So great. I'm never this popular, but um, (laughs) it's telling me to stand up. So <laughs> I found one doctor. <laughs> it's like stand up. I'm like just hold on. Stand up. Time to move. Time to move. Um, <laughs> I found one doctor who was willing to do the myomectomy. So we knew it was going to be a risk. Um, and so we, I went off birth control and everything once we got engaged, and we didn't get pregnant. And then six months after not getting pregnant, on the dot, I went to a first a fertility specialist. So we. From there, we tried five IUIs, which is like lovingly referred to as the turkey baster method. Oh, yeah. Um, so that's where they like, yeah, basically I'm on a, sl- a slight amount of drugs like Clomid and we just pump plump me up for my eggs to come down. And then, um, you know, Dan gets a magazine and a cup. He always gets the best part of the deal <laughs> because I get all like they flush your tubes with iodine and they make sure everything's okay and they everybody's seen my lady bits and then they're like oh and there you go you go have fun with a magazine and a cup I'm like what how is that a fair trade I just so not fair not fair at all um so we did five of those and we we did um none of them were successful and we did get pregnant um 
we actually found out we were pregnant naturally when on our first appointment for IVF, they did my blood work and they were like, you're pregnant. I was like, what? And so, um, we, we found out we were pregnant with a little girl named her. We knew it was a little girl. We heard her heartbeat. We were like, and what they tell you, once you hear the baby's heartbeat, you're in the clear. And so then we told everyone we were pregnant and I think we were like 12 weeks along then. And then we, the next appointment, she no longer had a heartbeat. And so then we had to tell everybody again. And at this point, I think we were like three years into trying. Um, and oh. so, and then, then I had to have a DNC because, um, like my body wouldn't evacuate the, the, the fetus. And I was just, I was like, can you just do one more ultrasound and make sure there's no heartbeat? Maybe it came back. I mean, I was really right. a mess. So we had that. And then I was like, well, we're already, we already have the, we had the IVF consultation. Let's go back. So we went back and at the same time, we actually got licensed to foster because we were open to any avenue of parenting. So we were pursuing the foster adoption route and then we were also pursuing the IVF route. We couldn't afford traditional adoption. IVF is expensive. Mm -hmm. Traditional adoption was really expensive. Um, And then it just so happened that Lloyd was our very first round of IVF. And we actually, at the time we had, we, I think we got like 12 embryos and eight of them became blastocysts, which is really great. And I was like, we're going to have all these babies on ice and we're going to be set, you know, we're going to have our whole family in this one bat. And then, <laughs> and then they genetically tested them and only two were viable. And it was one boy and one girl. And they put them both in. And then um, at the first ultrasound, it, they said, you know, you've got twins. You've got a boy and a girl. They're both in there. And they both had heartbeats, but she was measuring small and Lloyd was huge. And then, um, by like the third appointment, she had vanished and apparently vanishing twin syndrome is quite common. They just said that most people don't realize that they were pregnant with twins because they don't, you know, normal women don't have an ultrasound at five weeks and six weeks and seven. They don't get an ultrasound until after 10 or 12 weeks. So, um, most, most of them wouldn't have known there was a second one in there. So we just, we knew that there were two and then we joked that he kind of just ate her, but, um, <laughs> she vanished. Lloyd, Lloyd came out. It was like, you know, nine and a half pounds. And <laughs> my doctor who was like this lovely older Asian man who had been practicing for like 30 plus years. And he was very, he would always calm me down by saying, okay, everything's fine. Okay. So when Lloyd was born, I had so much fluid. It splashed up over the curtain in the C-section room. Oh my God. Hit me in the face, hit my husband in the face, hit the doctor. He's like, everything's fine. Okay. That was just a lot of fluid. Okay. Now this is a big baby. Okay. And this is the largest head I've ever seen on a baby. Okay. Ever. Okay. But everything's fine. Okay. And I was like, okay, <laughs> he's okay. Right. He's like, oh, he's fine. Okay. And he was like 23 <laughs> inches, nine and a half pounds and oh, a record breaking head size, which I can't remember. But, um, so, and did you have him naturally? No. So I had to have a C-section because of my myomectomy previously oh, and okay. all that scar tissue. And actually, um, when I went into labor with Lloyd, this is so embarrassing, but now I understand those, like, I didn't know I was pregnant people who like have a baby in a toilet. I just thought I had to poop the whole time I was in labor. And I kept telling my husband like, Oh, it's so weird. I'm really constipated. He's like, don't it's, do you think it's weird that you feel like you have to poop every seven minutes? And I was like, 
<laughs> no, I don't think it's that. And then it got down to like every two to three minutes I was having cramping. And he's like, we have to go to the hospital. <laughs> that's, that's not poop. That's contraction. That's contraction. And I was like, are you sure? Because my water never broke. And so we went to the hospital and all the rooms were full. So they sat us in the hallway and we were just like hanging out and I was uncomfortable, but I was like, okay. And then a woman came and was like, well, let's check you. And she looked and she's like, oh my God, you're 10 centimeters. And I can see the sack like with his head in it. We've got to go. <laughs> and they rolled. And I was like, well, why don't I push if he's right here? Let's just push. And she was like, no, 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 no. You're not allowed to push because you, you had this previous surgery and you could, your uterus could rupture and you could. Anyway, so when I went in there, they were like, oh, good thing we went. Your uterus was starting to tear. And I was like, oh, okay. So it all worked out with Lloyd. Um, with a head that big, maybe it was a, a blessing. In maybe, maybe it was. Yeah. I mean, it is It is amazing how, you know, I don't know, you just, you have this major surgery. And then also, you know, we had spent at that point five years, I think we had Lloyd five years into trying, five years of your life trying to have this human. You spend your entire life savings you know, is like, he was the most expensive thing I've ever owned. <laughs> and yeah. and then you spend so long trying to have a child and then they just hand you a human and they're like, okay, see you later. And I was like, oh, I'm, I'm so sorry. I get to just leave with this thing. I, I feel like there should be no, a like what do I read all the books and we went to the classes, but it just is, a, it's alarming the moment they yeah. hand you a human and they're like, well, just keep, keep that one alive. And uh, exactly. wow. so it was a lot, but we knew as soon as, as soon as Lloyd came out, I was like, we're doing this again. <laughs> I, I, I want him to have someone. And so, um, I think when he turned a year is when we went back to the clinic and started trying again, like getting everything in order. And I also had, I mean, I had all the things, right. So I had low milk supply. So I was on something called the triple plan, which is basically like you nurse, you pump, then you feed the baby what you've pumped and then you nurse again. And it's, it's like a cycle that never ends. Mm. Um, and so I, and I gained weight through that process. So that whole, like, you're going to lose so much weight when you nurse babies is, was not true for me. Not always true. <laughs> um, but you know, so I, my body was already a mess and I was like, well, let's just go right into taking more fertility drugs, and make the, make another baby. Yeah. Might as well. Might as well. So that's when we started the process for the twins, which ended up taking a lot longer than we anticipated. So then how was that experience similar or different from Lloyd? Well, yeah, just so different. At, at this point, I was also um, 37 and I was 35 when I had Lloyd. And I think I was 37 when we actually started the rounds. And um, <laughs> our fertility clinic charges more the older you get. <laughs> Because it's harder to get pregnant. So once you hit 37, it jumps up like an extra $3,000, I think, around. It's just like... That's crazy. Oh, your fertility's gone down. The price goes up because we're, we're, this is more challenging. And so I, I don't know. I just assumed it would be as easy as... It, not that it was easy the first time, but I assumed it would be a similar experience. And it was, it was quite different. We got a lot more eggs and they were just all... Um, poor quality. And so I think the first round we had 18 eggs and then one, one was healthy. It was one healthy boy blastocyst. So we put him in and then I didn't get pregnant. And I was like, what? Um, and so then we tried again and then we were out of money and, and then we decided to try, they got us into a trial round of like a 
which which you can like they needed to study the the juice inside the follicles of the women that I don't know it's very sciencey and I got a degree in theater but basically I let them keep my lady <laughs> juice and they gave me like I got to do that round for like seventy five hundred dollars plus the cost of drugs so like twelve thousand dollars which is at least half off so wow that was my discount baby round but the rule was you weren't allowed to genetically test those those embryos because they wanted to see if they could match the healthiness of the embryos based on the fluid, the fluid and the follicles. I don't know. It's very, I was like, sure, take whatever you want while you're in there. Yeah. Give me the yeah. discount. Exactly. Um, so from that round we did, I don't remember how many we got, but we ended up having like six and they grade them based on appearance. Um, it's like, I, I jokingly call it the swimsuit competition of the viability contest because I'm not sure what, like they're looking to see if they're four cells or if they've become like, once you're a blastocyst, that's good. And none of mine became blastocysts and they were all rated like C, C plus. And, and you want, you know, like Lloyd was an A plus looking baby. And so I was like, well, maybe they're just not, you know, academic. Maybe they're artists. <laughs> And it's totally fine to be a C student. <laughs> my doctor's like, well, this is not great. So, and I had had a big, my one rule was I only wanted to transfer one embryo at a time because I did not want to risk multiples. And so I said, you know, okay, pick the best C student and let's go with it. Right. So they put that one in, it didn't take. And then um, we were devastated and completely broke. And so we were, we were done, but we had these five babies left on ice and my doctor called and said, and we'd been with him since the beginning. And he just said, I love you guys. And I'd like to gift you a free round, but I'd like to do it my way. And I think we should put three embryos in. And I was like, Oh, okay. All right. That's, there's, that's, that's insane. And he was like, Oh, trust me. These are terribly graded. They don't look good. Two of them have not even become a blastocyst yet. The chances of even one implanting is so slim. And so I think, you know, three is the way to go. And I was like, we have got to work on your pep talks. (laughs) It's not sounding great. (laughs) So we, we did three and it was my first frozen transfer, which I felt, um, because normally I would do a retrieval and right after the retrieval, you feel terrible and you're all puffed up. And then they're like, well, that's great. Let's pop one back in and just see if it stays. So I had had like a month off of all the extra drugs and they put the three in and it was a much smoother process. And then we got pregnant with twins. And wow. at first we freaked out and then we're like, oh, no, no, no. Because vanishing twin syndrome, one of these is just going to go away. Right. <laughs> so every appointment we're like, okay, so uh, what do you got? And they're like, yeah, they both look good. And I was like, they're both still there, huh? Wow. <laughs> <laughs> Holy crap. Um, which, of course, now I adore them. I'm so glad that they both stuck around. But yeah. at the time we were terrified. Um, so then I got pregnant with the twins and then it just continued. Then at 14 weeks, I got a blood clot that partially separated our little girl's, um, placenta from me. And they thought it was a full placental abruption, which means she would have passed away. And they said, you can't, you'd lose them both. You can't, there's no way to save one and not the other. And so, um, but the, when they first spotted the blood clot, they thought it was a third sack. So at 14 weeks, they're like, oh, I see a third sack. And I was like, shut your mouth. <laughs> no, no, no. <laughs> I am 38. <laughs> this is not <laughs> happening. Um, and it, well, it turned out to be the blood clot, which was not a good 
um, thing. And so I, I had a lot of bleeding and we, you know, multiple times were in the hospital where I was on bed rest. They thought I was going to lose the babies. I was, you know, it was a lot of, um, and also we had a two and a half year old. So Lloyd doesn't fully understand why, why I'm constantly in the hospital, why I'm, uh, you know, on bed rest, why I can't pick him up. So there was a lot of moments of mom guilt where I was like, God, I thought I was having like in my mind, I have a younger brother and we are super close and I adore him. And I wanted my child to have siblings because a we're a bit older, we're normal aged for LA, but we're a bit older as parents. And I wanted him to have siblings to, you know, I don't know, com- complain about his parents too, and have camaraderie yeah. with, and you know, go on silly road trips and be like, can you believe they're making us listen to this podcast or whatever? Right, <laughs> exactly. Um, I didn't want him to be an only child, and but once I was pregnant with him, I just had all this guilt about like, gosh, is this just gonna take? you know, there's something of your first child, you have all these moments with just them that are so amazing. And you realize like, I'm never going to have that. There will always be these other people taking my time and taking my love. And, and so I really sat with that guilt for, for those nine months. And also, well, it wasn't even nine months. It turned out because, (laughs) because Mabel made her debut early, but, um, yeah, it was just a lot of, a lot of, it was a hard year. So the, we finally got cleared to go home. I think I was like 30 weeks and they took me off of full bed rest and put me on modified bed rest because I had made it that far. I think it was 32 weeks. They put me on modified bed rest and I was like, I'm living the life. I'm standing <laughs> vertically. This is amazing. And then I woke up in the middle of the night and I just, it was, it was a pop and I was soaked and I knew my water had broken. I didn't know whose water had broken because the babies had two separate sacks, but, um, they rushed me to the hospital. I was having contractions. They immediately put me on a mag drip, a magnesium drip. And they were like, we're going to keep this ba- these babies in as long as we can. So I was 35 weeks on the dot. So it was, it was Mabel's water that had broken. And at this point, her placenta was like ha- hanging on by half. But the half that was hanging on was so low. It's like placenta previa and it never moved up. They thought I had something called placenta accreta, which is where like – I mean, I learned so many terms. <laughs> right? yeah, exactly. the, the placenta like um, melds itself. It attaches itself to your uterus and refuses to let go, in which uh. case you need a full hysterectomy if they can't. So um, they made me sign all these waivers that I would get a hysterectomy. They had an extra – They the, each baby had a team, and then I had a team for a hysterectomy. Like they were ready. Um, so I was on the Magdrip for a week, and then on Father's Day of – 2017 the doctor came in it was a Sunday morning and he's like we're going and I was like well we're what he's like we're going where he's like you know Mabel's been in there without fluid for a week and at this point the infection risk is greater than the the other risks so we're just going to take them so they were born at 30 they were due August 31st I think and I had them July June 18th so August 31st to June 18th six weeks okay okay so yeah, 33 weeks, my water broke, 34 weeks, they took them out and um, they went straight to the NICU. They were good sized. Mabel was like five and a half pounds and Walter was six pounds. And poor Walter was shocked that he was being removed. I mean, I think he, he was, he was great the whole pregnancy. He was sitting up high. He had his own placenta, his own sack. He was like, pass me a hot pocket. I'm good till college. <laughs> Like I'm just going to sit in here, but, but Mabel, his uh, older but sister. My sister's messing things up. 
just like, I shall not be restrained. Get me out of it. So she came out first with red hair ablazing and screaming. And he came out second, like, what the actual, why are we doing this? <laughs> um, and they both went to NICU right away. And I, I had a bad reaction to the morphine. So I spent about 24 hours throwing up profusely, broke out in a rash all over my face. Oh and, my gosh. Sarah. Um, they let me see the babies. I almost dropped Mabel because I passed out. From the morphine. <laughs> Dan Cotter. It was totally fine. But I was oh like, I'd like to see the babies. And um, so I didn't get to see them the first 24 hours and Dan was with them and my parents had come down to stay with Lloyd. Um, And then, then our NICU journey began. And how long were they then in the NICU? Um, Mabel was there for 18 days and Walter was there for 24. So it was impossibly hard. And of course no one wants a baby in NICU, but the, the silver lining was Lloyd was so excited to, have a brother and sister and it gave him almost a full month to and the NICU let him visit he was so excited for the babies and he had just turned three and you had to be over three and have all your vaccinations and all these things you couldn't you know that he had to get tested to make sure he was healthy yeah he was then allowed to visit them on a daily basis so there I mean there was something so impossible like when they let me leave the hospital but you leave with no babies and I had the hardest time like trying to balance you know I wanted to spend time with Lloyd and see him but I wanted to and my husband but I I wanted to spend every waking moment with those babies and everybody thinks like oh well you're actually going to get some sleep but you're waking up every two hours to pump I was right, so you're not three times a day yeah so I was I was up every two hours and they couldn't nurse because they um their oxygen levels were too low and they they didn't have like the suck swallow um, mechanism thing down yet. And mm-hmm. so we were practicing with them on that. They, the hospital was great. They had a lactation specialist who would show up daily and work with me and work with the babies. And I think it took the first two weeks they didn't latch. So I was pumping exclusively. And, um, so it was just a lot of balancing. So we would all go to the hospital in the morning and Lloyd would see the babies and I would stay and my husband would then take Lloyd to the park and on fun activities. And I would stay there for like a four hour chunk and then they'd pick me up and then I'd go home and spend a couple hours with Lloyd, make him dinner, tuck him in. And then I'd go back to the hospital and I'd stay there till midnight or one in the morning. And then I'd come home and sleep for like three hours pump and then wake up Lloyd and then we'd do it again. And so it was just, you know, whoever you're with, you feel bad for the other one, <laughs> you know, yeah. with the twins. I feel like Lloyd's going to be neglected. If I'm with Lloyd, I feel like the twins were going to be neglected. They were getting great care in the NICU, but I just, you know, I wanted to be there around the clock. Yeah. So, it's so difficult. It was impossible, but it, they did, you know, Lloyd getting to come every day really gave him a good feel for what was going to happen. And then Mabel came home on day 18. So then we had a whole week with just one baby, which was a nice, um, I think, adjustment for him. Yeah, it's kind of a nice gradual, like, this is yeah. life over time, as opposed to just like, boom, you're a family of <laughs> right. just like, double. Hey, you know? people fell out of me, and now they're going to live here. Exactly. <laughs> so, um, and he really, I mean, he loved them. He always wanted to hold them, and as soon as he would hold them, he's like, I'm done. I, no thanks. I love um, that. So he, he really... Um, adjusted well. And then Walter was having these breathing episodes in the hospital. He would just stop breathing, go blue and 
like code out and they would have to stimulate him he would he he would just forget to breathe and it would happen if he was sucking on a pacifier it would happen when he wasn't eating when he was eating he would forget to breathe so every day he was supposed to go home first on like day 12 and then he stopped breathing and so then they have to hold him for like four three or four days to make sure he doesn't have another incident on the every every day he was set to go home he'd have another incident and stop breathing Mm -hmm. and so they kept him longer and he also, that's where he got diagnosed with craniosynostosis because he came out with this this ridge on his forehead, like looking like a Klingon. And my husband was um, mocking me for being vain and judgmental, but I was like, why does his head look like that? And they're just like, oh, babies have funny shaped heads when they come out. I'm like, but I did not push him out of a little canal. Like he right. came free and willing via C-section like Mabel had a perfectly round, you know, Dr. Phil receding hairline, babe, new baby head, <laughs> as they all do. And he had this really ridge-like thing. And so they were like, oh, no. And and I think on day seven when I came into the hospital, they were like, we need you to sit down. We did an ultrasound on his head because you had brought it up four or five times. And he's got something called craniosynostosis. And so that's where we got that diagnosis, which is his skull was fused. Um, so he didn't have the gaps in the front of his skull. So his brain was not um, allowed to grow. And so his, it affects their head shape and then eventually it affects their brain growth and then they go blind and they can have seizures and brain damage and stuff. So that was another journey of like, he had to have an open skull surgery where they basically took his skull off, reshaped the whole thing, gave him all the gaps and put it back on. So that was like another journey that we learned about a week into his birth of like, oh, he's going to have this major surgery, but we can't do that on a child until he hits at least six months old, began like visits to children's hospital. And it was just, it was a a lot of, you know, you never know what to expect when you have children. And we're so thankful that it was something that was an actionable plan and fixable and that it was discovered early and he didn't suffer any of the you know, the symptoms of like, I mean, he went a little cross-eyed <laughs> and no. had some eyesight issues, but it all uh, fixed itself after his surgery. But it was just, it feels like every day you show up at the NICU is a, you know, it's a new, there's a new hurdle. We were glad to have them home. What do you think that the NICU did for you as a family in general? I mean, besides obviously just saving your babies, but. Well, they certainly provided a lot of support not I mean obviously they were there for the children but they were also there for us and I remember like the first time I did nurse I I actually they latched and I nursed I was sitting there for a while and when I stood up I just had this huge gush of blood come out of me I mean it was all over the floor and all all the nurses rushed in everybody was so supportive and everybody helped me out and it's because your uterus contracts when you're nursing and yeah I mean stuff I there were so many things I didn't know and they were so good at like delivering. We had a lot of setbacks in the NICU and they were so good at delivering news and they were so good at helping being there for me emotionally and not just being there for my kids physically because emotionally, you know, the, I don't know what the babies were thinking. I don't know if they were just like, Oh, from a comfy uterus to the shiny box. Great. (laughs) I was a mess. I mean, I couldn't leave without just hyperventilating. Um, cause you, you don't want to leave and they were really comforting and, and, um, they were great at letting me take, you know, take turns. I would, I could do the feedings and, um, 
So it did really provide like confidence, I think. I think had I been just given these two babies <laughs> to take home, um, they were, you know, they were so tiny and so fragile at the time they needed to be there. So it gave me peace of mind knowing like, okay, well, if Walter is having these breathing issues, I certainly don't want him to come home with me and stop breathing. Yeah. I, I want him to stay as long as he needs to stay so we can do this the right way. Um, so it did give me, it, it gave me peace of mind, I think. And I think it really did help their older brother adjust to the whole thing. Because as much as you can talk about having two babies coming home, one, once you see them and hold them, and he was so excited, it, it really, it really did help. I, like, we made sure to make time for Lloyd always. And so every Sunday would be my mommy Lloyd date. Oh, that's a good and, idea. And after both twins were home that first Sunday, I said, okay, Lloyd, it's just mommy and you for two hours today. We can go do anything you want. What What do you want to do? And he said, oh, let's go to the hospital and bring home more babies. Oh. <laughs> at this point, every week we had brought a baby home from the hospital. <laughs> I was like, oh, honey, no, no, we're not going to ever bring home more babies. We're, I was thinking the park or maybe ice cream. Like, let's. And he's like, no, no, mommy, let's go back to the hospital with all the nurses and bring home another baby. Oh. So he was, you know, even like on his alone time with me, he wanted to, he wanted to include the babies. And I think um, a big part of that was that the NICU was special and the nurses there made him feel special. And he was always like honored as the big brother. Um, oh, that's awesome. So it, and also just on a, a parenting note, Lloyd, you know, we brought him home and we ended up co-sleeping, which I thought I would never do because I was so worried about safety and all that stuff. But it was just, he was nursing all the time and with a triple plan, it was just, we co-slept and we co-slept till he was like two and a half. And he still will crawl into our bed at like five in the morning just to cuddle. But the twins, when they came home, they were on a schedule. NICU has them like they eat every three hours and they want to sleep by themselves. Like they're used to their little separate boxes and they can't sleep. Like Mabel will not go down if Walter's not in the room and vice versa. They they need to be next to each other, but not, not touching each other. And it's the... Um, I don't know. It's just an interesting bond that they have. And also like nap time and bedtime. We, we do kisses. We say night, night and we place them in the crib and they fall asleep. Like I just leave and they fall asleep, which is just so different from, you know, Lloyd, we'd be in car jail. Like we'd drive him around for hours and really <laughs> nap. And then I'd sit in my car pumping in a, you know, in the target parking lot. Yeah. And it's just a different experience. And I think, um, a big part of that for better or worse is just in NICU, they were used to not, not being held all the time and not being as much as I tried to hold them. There's always going to be one that's not being held while the other one is. So they came home on a, on a pretty like clean, clear eating schedule. And, um, it was just a very different experience than our first time. Cause our first time I was just like Amazon, like Amazon woman, no top on ever just constantly like, <laughs> That I watched nine seasons of Murder She Wrote while I was pumping and nursing <laughs> Lloyd. Like literally, he'd hear dun 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 and like start smacking his lips. And I was like, oh no, <laughs> maybe I'm not setting a great precedent. But but the twins were just on a much more like I, I learned to tandem nurse, but I always needed my husband to help latch the second one. Yeah, and it was just more of a 
I don't know if it's that it was our second time uh, or that the NICU had helped with that, but um, it was just a very different experience. Yeah. Well, through all of these different interviews, I mean, the main thing that I find coming up is just that every baby or babies in your in your experience <laughs> and every mother and parenting experience is just so different. And I actually have an interview with a sleep consultant and she talks about a couple tips that you can do as a new mom to set different guidelines. But also at the end of the day, it's like everybody has to do what's best for them and what's right. best for their baby and their situation, you know, and, and you had also been through a lot just leading up to Lloyd. So, you know, you do what you have to do. Um, yeah. It's, I mean, it, it is interesting how it just all, yeah, there's an ebb and a flow to everything. And it was just so different the second time around. And, and we, I tried to co-sleep <laughs> once they got bigger and I felt more confident. Like if one was fussy and I would nurse them, I would, you know, like fall asleep while you're nursing and they're, you know, they're in, and no, Mabel would just, no, she just, she would not sleep unless she was put back down in her bassinet or in her, in her they had two little mini cribs, um, which was just very different. And still to this day, like she's two now and she was up coughing and I, I, um, got her, I was patting her back and I tried to lay down with her and she's just like, nope, <laughs> got out of bed. She, she's just shimmied out of my bed, walked right to her crib and was like, up, up. <laughs> like, wow. Okay. How funny. Okay. Well, I love you too, but that's fine. <laughs> that's so sweet. But it's not for lack of trying. She's just a very independent lady. Absolutely. Um, well, she even wanted to come out before her brother. So she's like, right? I'm out of this joint. Yeah. She's like, I am for sure going to be the firstborn in this situation. Exactly. And that's why she hunkered down so low. She's like, I'm getting close to this exit. <laughs> No one shall leave first. She's definitely <laughs> she's a firecracker. Yeah, she's the. She's definitely she rules this roost. Even Lloyd obeys everything. Mabel Mabel sets the ground rules, and Lloyd just follows in tow. Oh my gosh, that's so funny. Um, I want you to get a chance also to mention. Um, you mentioned to me that you like to have people, if they would like and are able, donate blood and milk. So where do you usually recommend people do that? Um, so our hospital was in Santa Clarita and they accept, um, milk donations. You do have to, they do end up having to, I mean, they, they test the milk and then, I don't know, clean the milk or whatever. But if you have like an oversupply of milk, um, which I was never blessed with, but a few of my friends did, you can donate that to a NICU near you. And those NICU babies, the pre, the real extreme micro preemies get that milk and it's so important um, so I always would encourage if you, if you have an oversupply of milk and if you don't, we all have blood <laughs> and Walter right. during his cranios and his, his cranial revolt, like surgery, he, uh, went through the maximum amount of blood transfusions. I think it was two pints or three pints. And, wow. um, they have a, an extreme shortage of blood right now at children's hospital, Los Angeles, or they did at the time. And so we're always encouraging people to donate blood um because you could save a child's life so if you if you have it in you and you have the time i mean also there's so many great organizations out there but you know we all have blood so we like to go once a year to celebrate walter we all donate blood and then um as often as i can i'll i'll continue to do so so that's awesome yeah. so now what is life like now so you have two twin two-year-olds and 
how old is Lloyd now? He is five. So if you're asking if I'm potty training children at 40, yes, I am. That is, <laughs> that, that is happening right now. Um, yeah, there's a lot of naked, tiny people just running around me at all times. <laughs> and um, we just rescued a dog because life was not chaotic enough. So <laughs> now we have a dog and three tiny humans. So yeah, Lloyd's five and he just started kindergarten, which he's loving. Although um, California oh. is like full day kindergarten now. All, all, all of California has switched. So oh, they're wow. these long days. He leaves at like 8.30. He takes the bus because he insisted on taking the bus. He's also insisted on a hot lunch because he's like, <laughs> you know that they make milk in chocolate flavors? I was like, yeah, I didn't know that. And he's like, I cannot believe they make that. <laughs> so... <laughs> He is um, really exploring the world. A friend, he also came home yesterday and was like, do you know they have these like orange crunchy things? And I was like, carrots? And he's like, no, 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 no. There, there's like a tiger on the front. Do you know what those are? And I was like, no, I've never heard of those. <laughs> those are brand new. Never heard of them. And then he spotted them in the grocery store. He's like, it's these things. It's these things. And I was like, yes, honey, we don't have the genetics to eat those things. That's not something. <laughs> so... He's learning about the outside world and really enjoying it. He did say, like, school is very long. And I was like, well, you know, you get, like, three recesses and a lunch, and so all this time to play. And if it, if they made it shorter, you wouldn't get as many recesses. And he's like, why don't they cut out all that learning? There's so much, there's so many learning bits. We could have less of the learning and more of the playing. <laughs> Which at five, I agree. Like, you know oh what I mean? Like, but, um. Overall, I, don't know. I think he might have to have his own YouTube channel soon. <laughs> yeah. yeah, he's requested one. And um, uh, I was like, you can wait. <laughs> but um, he's loving it. And then the twins started just at like a little play based, they call it preschool, but they're only two. And they just go for three hours a day, twice a week, just so that they can see other people exist in this world. Because, right. um, you know, with Lloyd, we took him everywhere and we did everything. And I feel like when you have one child, it's like an accessory. It's like, we can go <laughs> anywhere because there's two of us and one of him and it's amazing. And then once you go from one to three, it just, we, we get out a lot less than we used to. We used to do so much. And so I feel like Lloyd got dance classes and music class and he jujitsu and like yeah. all little tiny things that you do in LA with your tiny humans. And then the twins get maybe a trip to target once a week. <laughs> and, and I'm like, well, look at this. It's called the outside world because I just I can't like, I can't, you know, you can't to put both of them in a class. You need two adults and my husband's working. And so um, we decided to enroll them in this so they could get some socialization, which they're yeah. really, really enjoying. Oh, good. Oh, my gosh. Well, I just have to say, you are absolutely hilarious. And I, well, I know, <laughs> I know you. that, you know, the whole experience that you had, the everything from Lloyd to the twins and everything in between. I mean, you had mentioned how emotional it was for you and how hard it was for you. But I imagine that you had some of this, you know, lightheartedness with you throughout those times. And I'm sure that that helped. And at least helped the people around you because, and I can see it in Lloyd in the, in the videos I watch. Oh, well, yeah. He's a funny kid. Well, thank you. We, my husband is also, he's quiet, but he's, he's funny. He was actually a stand up comedian when we met in New York city. And so, oh, wow. um, humor is a big coping mechanism for us. And also like, what's the point of life if you're not able to laugh about it? And it, right. so we're just not big on, we never want to take ourselves too seriously 
especially like if you can't, the you know, the times I need to laugh the most are those, the hardest times. And so we're, we're definitely oversharers <laughs> because we do speak out about, you know, law, infant loss, miscarriage loss, miscarriages and I, infertility and all those things because, um, I just feel like it's important to shed light on those darker areas to make other, yeah. if, you know, if somebody hears this and feels less alone, then I think that's a win. I, f- I feel like there's a lot of shame associated with, with infertility and, and miscarriages and all these things. And there's a lot of guilt that we all carry as women when things don't work out. And I feel like, um, we need to have less of that and more of the just we all, you know, we all talk about it and accept that we aren't perfect and that, I mean, it's, it's still a pretty kick-ass life. Am, am I allowed to say yeah. kick-ass? Okay. Of course you are. Yeah. Okay. Totally, um, totally a kick-ass life as a mom who's just like rocking it. Well, I haven't showered and I'm not wearing a bra, so I wouldn't say rocking it. You know, <laughs> I would say I'm... That's why this is an audio interview and not a video. Right. <laughs> Everyone is currently alive and laughing, and so that's the best we can do for now. I'm not, you know... I'm certainly, I, I was on a plane because I travel a lot for work. And so I was flying to Madrid to shoot for a travel agency. And I, I was sitting next to a guy and I was like, man, my, my butt is a lot bigger than it used to be pre-kids. <laughs> like I have gained 80 pounds in the past 10 years. Like every miscarriage, I gained 10 pounds. Every round of IVF, I gained 10 pounds. The pregnancies, I didn't gain that much. And but it was just like over time how you accumulate. And the man next to him, like, I'm so sorry. I just had twins. And he was like, oh, my gosh, congratulations. How old are they? And I was like, well, they're two. So, yeah. <laughs> I, just, I came home and I joined the gym just because I was like, you know what? F this. I've spent 10 years, like, working exactly. for family. Now I have it. Now I'm going to get myself healthy and just get in, in a place where I can be the best I can be for them. But yeah. I'm never going to be, you know, Instagram cute in a bikini like strutting on a beach with my babies I'm gonna be the mom who's got like the messy bun wash my hair once a week no makeup on but we'll be laughing yeah and I think that's what majority of people want to see anyway is just the real life and I think like you said it is so important I mean I just had a friend recently who posted up about a miscarriage and feeling so defeated and I messaged her because it's like every single friend that I have and person who's going through pregnancy has experienced miscarriage. And then there's people like you who went through so much other additional trauma and battles and things that came up. And, you know, at the end of the day, women are just amazing. And I don't know, I just salute all of you moms, because I feel like it's something that if you want to be a mom and you want to have a family you almost put these blinders on and nothing's going to stop you. And I just think that that's real, really, really honorable. And for you to have such a lighthearted essence about you, it's just, it's really, really cool. And it's really awesome to hear. I will say my husband um, just recently thanked me for, he was like, thank you for being completely stubborn and unwielding with your desire to have children. I think I would have given up and then we wouldn't have these humans and I'm so grateful. It's like, well, you're welcome. <laughs> because yeah. I, I, yeah, I do think um, women are undeterred. If there's something we want, you we go and we get it. <laughs> and I, you know, and who knew, I, I didn't know how our family was going to come to us. I could have been through foster adoption. It could have been a number of ways. I'm just glad that it 
it came to fruition. And um, I wish everyone out there success. And however, you know, whichever path, there's no wrong way. And also, I know plenty of people who don't have children. They come and visit me, and they are really okay with that choice after they spend two hours with my my family. Yeah. <laughs> running around pantsless and screaming it's loud and it's lovely and it's not for everybody and that's okay too like everybody's just doing amazing things in life so I think if we could celebrate each other more and criticize each other less we'll be winning I am in complete agreement I love that my very last question for you is what is something that you would like to tell all of your kids now for when they are 18 um mommy is not sending you to college she spent all that money on making you so <laughs> you're really gonna have to start a savings plan now That's amazing. Uh, and also I think I'd just say be fearless and and follow your own compass don't let anybody else tell you which direction you should go in believe in yourself and just go for it I, I think I think I would tell them that and don't forget to have fun. <laughs> you know, yeah. Lloyd's already talking about what he wants to be when he grows up. And I'm like, just, no, no, just enjoy this moment. You don't have to, you don't have to want to be anything yet. You just, you know, just enjoy it. I, I don't want them to feel any kind of pressure to be something or do something. I just want them to follow their own path and enjoy it. Yeah. Oh, that's beautiful. It's hard. You know, we live in a world where everyone's, you know, I don't know. Life is based on likes and comments and I just want I want them to be true to themselves and champion on. Yeah. I agree. Thank you so much for sharing your your messy life but um all <laughs> the elements that make it so so beautiful and um I'm just so grateful I found you and you were willing to talk and share your story because I hope and I think it will inspire so many other people. Oh, well, thank you. And if there's a mama out there right now holding her baby in NICU, you got this. They are yeah. going to be home and in your arms in no time, and it'll all be worth it. And, you know, two years later, it's just one of those blips on our story map, and um, you got this. So thank you for having me, and happy NICU Awareness Month. The Pumping Podcast is a podcast for moms and by moms, and I am your host. I'm not yet a mama. I'm a mama in training. If you're enjoying what you hear, please take a minute on iTunes to subscribe, rate, and review so more mamas out there can find us and listen along while they're pumping or breastfeeding. If you'd like to be a guest and share your story, email me at thepumpingpodcast at gmail.com. You can also email me if you have any questions for any of my guests, and I will reach out, get those answers, and relay them to you in a follow-up episode. A big thank you to my friends Ashley and Kelly for the use of their baby's laughter, and my dear friend Erin Adams for writing my gorgeous theme song. You can follow along on Instagram at The Pumping Podcast, and go ahead and share the podcast with a mama you know. Until next time, keep on pumping. Pumping.